Hello, this is A.R. Bernard, and welcome to my podcast. My objective, it's simple, to create a platform where you can be educated, informed, and inspired as you navigate the intersection of faith and culture. If you have no faith, maybe you'll find it here. So, thanks for tuning in. I want to ask you to go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. Matthew, chapter 19, verse 1, and just hold that. Let me share with you, this has been an exciting week. Uh, We were down in Washington, D.C., the culmination of more than a year of collective effort toward a celebration that took place in Washington, D.C. at the Museum of the Bible on Thursday evening. The event was called The Blessing of the Elders. It was an idea that was birthed out of a conversation from one of the staff members, executive staff members of the Museum of the Bible, another pastor, and they started to collect leaders around the idea to develop that idea over time. They invited me in, along with uh, Dr. Tony Evans, dear colleague and friend, and a host of others who came together, and we started thinking it through. And the idea was to have an event where we get a chance to bless spiritual leaders in the African-American community who have made a distinctive contribution to the spreading of the gospel and the impacting of culture. A celebration of the rich legacy that is in the spirituality of the black church in America from its beginning up to the present and on out into the future. And I will tell you, on Thursday night, first of all, the black church experience in America is not monolithic. There's great diversity within the church. And yet, that diversity came together in such a special way on Thursday evening. We had Fred Hammond there, Erica Campbell, B.B. Winans uh, was, along with Erica Campbell, was uh, the MC for the evening. Um, Help me out here. I'm going to mess this up already. Right, Tremaine Hawkins... Yeah, all those people. (laughs) They're in the industry, so they know better than me. Um, Denzel Washington, his lovely wife, Pauletta Washington, who's with us in service. Uh, It was just a coming together and a celebration. It was a honored uh, uh, myself, uh, John Perkins, who long time, 92 years old, just as feisty as ever, and a pioneer in the area of Christian community development. Uh, And he just, I mean, he he laid it down. See, when you get 92 and you could walk around like that, you could almost say whatever you want. (laughs) And he did, by the way. (laughs) And uh, it was just a great event. Um, And Dr. Tony Evans was honored. Vastai McKenzie, who, Bishop Vastai McKenzie, who's the first uh, female bishop of the AME Church, uh, 
Um, I'm going through um, Pastor Shirley Caesar. Uh, who am I missing? I'm having a Florida moment. Of course, absolutely. Um, so along with Bishop T.D. Jakes, who I reached out to and I said, Bishop, you got to be a part of this thing, man. This is real. Um, uh, just a host of individuals, individuals were there and a celebration of that rich legacy. It's going to continue. When I was brought in, we were talking about a documentary to talk about the black presence in the Bible. And of course, that's easy. Don't let that shoot by you folks. All right. And also to uh, work on a curriculum, uh, an exhibit at the Museum of the Bible to talk uh, about that experience. Because what, what happened with African Americans in terms of their relationship with Christianity, because some who came over were Catholics from the Congo um, and Congolese Catholics, because the Congo was very prominent in the slave trade. Uh, some were Muslims. But when African Americans embraced Christianity here, they didn't mimic white Christianity. They actually created a parallel Christianity of their own, a Christian culture with their own hymns, style of worship. Uh, oh gosh, yeah, hymns, style of worship, the call and response, the cadence, and eventually the Hammond B3 organ. And the preacher kept me a tune, saying, mm, yeah. All that kind of stuff. You know, the call and response. If I say, how long? How long? There you go. See, some of y'all. <laughs> Where did you go to church? Anyway. But it just, out of it, out of it came education, uh, inst educational institutions, arts, entertainment. I mean, you name it. The, the, the church was central to the culture throughout its history and at the forefront of social change to deal with issues of injustice. Essentially, it was the place of dignity in a society and a nation that did not want to give dignity to people of color. And we are taking it further and, uh, and going along. I was asked to be the chairman of the blessing of the elders and there's a new corporation that's been established not for profit and we'll continue to keep this going so please keep it in your prayer it was absolutely phenomenal event the spirit of the place jamie hector and his wife jamie were there and some other of our members just it was just phenomenal so please keep it in your prayers you'll hear more about it it's called blessing of the elders we're putting up a website and we have a lot of plans going out into the future. So I wanted to get that out of the way. Time is linear in that it's progressing in a direction. We who are people of faith believe in divine providence, which simply states that God is in control of human history. God is directing, guiding, protecting, and providing for humanity. And he's moving us towards a specific end, the redemption of a wayward human society. 
to bring it back to the original intent in the mind of God. So God is in charge. History moves linear. But history is experienced cyclically because things happen in a cycle. There are political cycles, social cycles, economic and spiritual cycles, moral cycles. Some happen 50 years apart, 20 years apart, 80 years apart. And for the first time in a long time, the next eight years in front of us, we're going to see a convergence of political and economic forces influencing what happens within our nation that we have not seen for some 80 years. It means that certain people will be affected, certain shifts will take place. The systems and structures that have been in place by government that we've depended on have failed. They have been deficient and filled with inequities. So when that happens, there's a call for a deep change in those structural systems. And the people who are impacted most are the citizens of the society. And when systems fail that when the people depend on, it changes the relationship between the government and the people. And the people begin to think outside and beyond government in terms of their future. They also then move to hold government accountable. So there's a shifting that's taking place. Morally, in the 1960s, before some of you were born, in the 1960s, there was every revolution imaginable taking place in the United States. It was moral, it was spiritual, it was economic, it was political, it was social. It was out of that environment of free love, open relationships, no boundaries, that Roe v. Wade emerged and became law. Here it is, 60 years later, Roe v. Wade emerges again and is overturned. These are what we call prophetic indicators that emanate from the character of the culture. What Jesus called the signs of the times, which we have a responsibility to as people of faith, read those signs because Jesus rebuked the religious leaders for not being able to discern the signs of the times. And why are the signs of the times, discerning the signs of the times important? Because it tells us how we, the representatives of God, ought to conduct ourselves in response to those changing times. The Bible is filled with illustrations of how the times change, but God's people in the times continue to experience God's provision, God's blessing, no matter what's happening around them. This is a good place to say amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So although I'm expressing to you that certain things are coming down, 
over the next eight years and we'll see play out, all right, differently than 100 years ago or 80 years ago, the fact still remains that it's going to call upon your faith in order to navigate these times successfully. If you've ever read Hebrews chapter 11, there are two words that you hear again and again and again. By faith. And then it tells the story of the individuals who conquered, who overcame, who sustained in the face of incredible odds. Their faith informed them, not the culture, not the circumstances, not the situations, not what they saw with their eyes, but what they believed in their heart. That's what informed them and guided them. So we're seeing shifting takes place. We're going to see geographic changes because people are now going to relocate to states that are more in alignment with their values, their idea of how society should be organized and, 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 and how we should live in it. So we're going to see migrations. We're going to see shifts in populations. And of course, that's going to affect that state economically, either up or down. Are, are y'all hearing me this morning? This is important, so you'll, you'll, you'll understand. Interestingly enough, the overturning of Roe v. Wade doesn't really affect New York. We are New York, New York. (laughs) But in other states across the nation, there's going to be a lot of tension. So as systems fail and people become more concerned, there is a greater stress on society and a greater stress on the individuals. And this is why your faith is going to be so important to how you navigate the next 10 years. Praise the Lord. Now, this is not to scare you. This is to encourage you, to excite you, because you get to see God's hand at work in your life and in our world like you don't see on a normal basis. Let me tell you something, when God steps up, whoo, man, pay attention. Because it's always to the benefit of his people, humanity at large, but especially to the benefit of his people. Now, I had pastors calling me yesterday, texting me, okay, what are you going to say? And my mind was somewhere else. I said, about what? I said, Roe v. Wade. So they were asking for guidance because they expected to respond to congregations across the country. And congregations can be mixed. You can have pro, pro-life in a congregation and pro-choice at the same time. And people in the middle still trying to figure it out. And people who are trying to understand what, that, what does that mean? What does pro-life mean? What does pro-choice mean? All right. How do, we, how do we process all of this stuff? Well, I want to use it as an opportunity because I did craft a statement. I was up till about 11 o'clock last night till I was satisfied. And then I sent it out to some of my colleagues and pastors are using it. 
to have the conversation with their congregation because this is great social change. This is great political change, economic change, moral change. There's a lot going on in our nation right now. Perspective is your point of view. Different from perception. Perception is how you interpret things. Perspective is your point of view. Perspective is informed and shaped by your beliefs, your experiences, your education, your context, culturally, economically, educationally. All of those things come into play to shape and inform your point of view, how you see things. Perception is how you interpret any given circumstance or situation. Also, strongly informed and shaped by your perspective. So your perspective influences your perception. And how many of you know both your perspective and perception can be wrong? In his very well-known book, Stephen Covey, um, Seven Habits of Successful People, he, he writes a story, and I'm going to paraphrase it very quickly, of his encounter with a, a man, a father, who was sitting on a bench in the subway, had his children with him, and the children were running wild, unruly. And he said as he sat there, it annoyed him. So he couldn't take it anymore. He goes to the father, and he says, Sir, these are your children. You have a responsibility. Why are you letting them run wild like you are? You should be doing something about it. And the man said, You're right. I should be doing something but I'm just trying to figure out because we just left the hospital and I'm trying to figure out how to tell them that their mother died. Covey said that everything changed. His perspective, his perception, everything changed very quickly. How he interpreted it changed. And he said, I am so sorry. How can I help you? Covey's perspective was that children should conduct themselves in an orderly and respectful fashion in public. His perspective was that parents have a responsibility to make sure to enforce the conduct of their children in public. That was his perspective based upon a set of beliefs and values. His perception, how he interpreted what he saw, was that the father was derelict of his duty and responsibility to keep his children in check. And he felt he had to say something. But when he heard the background, the bigger story, the bigger picture, when he got more information, all of a sudden, he realized that his perception was wrong. Have you ever been in a situation where you interpreted something erroneously? 
and maybe had to apologize. That's why it's important that we hear each other's story. I need to know your story. You need to know my story so you know my context, so you know my perspective, my point of view, how I'm understanding and how I'm experiencing. Because when we have those kinds of conversations and dialogue, everything changes. The song said, he saw the best in me. Is that theologically correct? I'm glad you asked. Because in order to say that and be theologically correct with it, it means that God has both a perspective and a perception when it comes to human beings, especially those who are in a special relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That be us. You know what I'm saying? So, there is something called point of reference. Point of reference is what you use to compare things to. Right? Point of reference helps you make sense and respond. It shapes your perception. It shapes your perspective. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. And I I want to take you away from the overarching theme of the text. The conversation is about divorce. But that's not why we're examining the text. Because within a conversation, there are things that are said that open other ideas, that bring other understanding. Have you ever had a conversation about something and and a phrase or a statement pop up in the conversation that may not necessarily be about the bigger picture or the bigger conversation you're having, but it just pops out at you and says, wow, in the middle of that. So there's the overarching theme of this conversation, which is about divorce. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to catch him. They wanted that gotcha moment. Chapter 19, Gospel of Matthew, verse 1. I'm reading out of the King James Version today, intentionally, because of the language. So if we need to change it in our control room, let's change it. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him or putting him to the test and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to 
put away or divorce his wife for every cause? And let me tell you something. In that culture, women were second and third class citizens. They were not treated with the same level of dignity and respect that we understand in our culture, in our society. So a man could divorce his wife for the simplest little thing. So is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause or for any reason? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them when? I can't hear you. When? And the he that he's talking about is God, Yahweh, right? And he answered them, said to them, have you not read? So he's referring to the scripture. That he which made them, when? Come on, talk back to me. At the beginning. That's why I chose this particular translation. At the beginning, made them male and female. I'm not, I'm not going to go into that conversation today. But I will pause. <laughs> you get the full flavor. And said, verse 5, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain, the two, shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let no man put us under. So the context is divorce. But the statement is what I want you to take a look at and grasp. What's Jesus' reference point? What's his reference point? This is where you can talk back to me. What's his reference point? I can't hear you. Some of you all are testing to see if that's the right. In the, in the beginning. And as more people say the same thing, you get louder. In the beginning. critical. What's his reference point? He's responding to a question about divorce. As you read the rest of the text, Jesus says that in the beginning, divorce was not an option. Then the religious leaders responded by saying, well, then why did Moses give a writing of divorcement? Why did he okay it? Why did he give a rule within the law that allowed for it? Jesus responded by saying, because of the hardness of your heart. The language hardness of heart means to be destitute of spiritual perception. In other words, Jesus said, because you don't understand the covenant, the union, the relationship. Moses gave a writing 
of divorcement. It was a concession that God made to humans because of our broken, wounded condition. Because when you have broken, wounded people in a relationship, there are going to be problems. Even in a God-ordained relationship called marriage. So, he's responding to a condition of fallen humanity. But his reference point is still the original intent in the mind of God. In other words, his reference point is the beginning. In spite of fallen humanity, in spite of all the stuff, the broken, wounded human condition, God is not judging based upon our condition. He's judging based upon his original intent for humanity. This is important because, you see, the devil is an accuser. His objective is to heap condemnation upon you, to attack your self-esteem, your self-worth, and your sense of worthiness before God. Because if he can attack that, undermine that, then you will not step up to the place of embracing all the promises that God has for you. He can separate you from the original intent. See, redemption is about bringing you back to the original intent. My dear friend and brother, Dr. Miles Monroe, we used to, for <coughs> excuse me, 10 years straight, we did a uh, marriage cruise together. And we would just tag team and have fun, hang out for a week and while we ministered to married couples. He released the principle early on as his ministry began to really explode here in America. And it was a very important principle into the body of Christ. The principle was this. If the purpose of a thing is not clearly understood, abuse is inevitable. I'm going to say it again. You don't know it, you need to write it down. I told Dr. Miles, I said, I, said, I said, Miles, that was my principle. You just got it first. I wasn't listening. <laughs> Excuse me. If the purpose of a thing is not clearly understood, abuse is inevitable. Everything has a purpose. Amen? If the purpose of a wife is not clearly understood, abuse is inevitable. If the purpose of children is not clearly understood, 
abuse is inevitable. If the purpose of a husband is not clearly understood, abuse <laughs> is inevitable. If the purpose of a pastor is not clearly understood, <laughs> abuse is inevitable. Yeah, there's pastor abuse. If the purpose of power is not clearly understood, abuse is inevitable. So you must clearly identify the purpose of a thing. Amen? A hammer was not designed to be a screwdriver. No. So Jesus' point of reference was where? In the beginning. In other words, the original intent in the mind of God. Even though he's having a conversation that relates to the fallen human condition, that's not his reference point. His reference point is not how messed up we are. His reference point is not your baggage, your trials and tribulations and your brokenness and woundedness and ugliness and your pain and what you went through and nobody knows. <laughs> it's not his point of reference. It can be ours because we're so consumed by our own human failing, our own humanity. But that is not his point of reference. What's his point of reference? I'm gonna write, I gotta write it down. The purpose of the earth is humanity. The purpose of humanity is human thriving. I cannot tell you how important this statement is. This is the big picture. This is the meta-narrative of the universe. Why did God create the earth? For humans. Don't get spiritual. He, he created it to glorify him, to worship him. Hallelujah. Sit down. He put systems and structures in order. He put ways of life. He set things up. All towards what? It opens up with these words. Be fruitful. Multiply. Have dominion. Which doesn't mean dominate other people. It means master life. I've given you all of this. Master it. And work together. Human thriving. What's the purpose of the earth, CCC? Humans. 
What's the purpose of the earth? Humans. What's the purpose of the earth? Stop there. Humans. That's the He didn't make it for the lion. Didn't make it for the bird. Didn't make it for the whale. Who did he make the earth for? So what's the purpose of the earth? Humans. Humans. Everything on the planet revolves around what? Humans. What's the purpose of humans? Very important. The earth is here for us, and God's intention is for us to do what? To thrive. Human, let me, let me give you some better language real quick. Think of it this way. This is the big theme. Human flourishing. God wants you to flourish. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? And what's his point of reference? His original intent for man. And what is his original intent? Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. Even after things went wrong and he had to bring a cataclysmic, cataclysmic flood. What does he say to Noah? Starting over again? Be fruitful. Multiply. So it didn't change God's original intent just because man messed things up. God didn't change his original intent. His original intent stays in place. It will just be difficult, a lot more difficult than the beginning because now the very environment that was supposed to cooperate with man towards human flourishing is now going to resist him. Thorns and thistles. But God's intention is still that we flourish. Turn to your neighbor. Say, neighbor, God wants you to flourish. That was his original intent, and he hasn't changed his mind. This is so important, folks. So important. Jesus comes, he says, I come that you may have, and that you may have it more same words. He said, I would that you bear much fruit and that your fruit should remain. In other words, what you do have sustainability. He not only wants you to be flourishing, but he wants you to have longevity. And that's why everything in scripture is about the next generation and the next generation. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation to see if they decided to go in a different direction than their father so I can bless them. Showing mercy to thousands. You've got to get God's attitude towards you. And let me tell you, this is important because when I got saved, I went into the Pentecostal church. I went from one extreme, the nation of Islam, into a Pentecostal context, which was another extreme. Everything was sin, and it was a God of wrath, not the God of love. And it took me a minute because the God of wrath was so ingrained, and the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom. So if you want to be wise, you better be terrified. 
And I couldn't reconcile the God of the New Testament in Jesus, which was love, 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 and the God of wrath in the Old Testament. That was kill, kill all of them. Kill them all. Was there a disconnect? Was there inconsistency? Are there two strange gods? No, one God. We just haven't understood him correctly. God wants for us what? Human flourishing. God wants us to flourish. In spite of our condition. In spite of our weaknesses. In spite of our shortcomings, our failures. What do you, that's why one of the definitions of sin is missing the mark. So we condemn ourselves for missing the mark when that's exactly what sin is about. Falling short of God's glory. And he makes up the difference through the sufficiency of his grace. Human flourishing. So, we have Roe v. Wade overturned. Everything should be judged through the lens of human flourishing. Life, not death. I'm going to try that again. Life, not death. What did Jesus come to bring? Life. What did Jesus come to bring? Life. And our life is composed of our choices. So both life and choices are biblical. We try to disconnect them. I'm pro-life. I'm pro-choice. What are you talking about? Are we out of time? Ah. You know what happened in the first service, too? Uh, we're going to have to pick up on this next week anyway. But let me at least share the statement with you um, that I put out, and we posted it. We can get it up on the screen. It was almost up. Oh, there it is. Okay, let me read it to you from my notes. Are you ready? I say that because I'm not. The overturning of Roe v. Wade by the U.S. Supreme Court did not make abortions illegal but has left it up to individual states to decide whether to allow abortions in their jurisdiction. The abortion issue in our nation is not as simple as some would have us believe. Elected officials should respond thoughtfully and compassionately protecting the life of the unborn without treating those women having or seeking an abortion as criminals. We must also address the inequities and deficiencies in our healthcare system and social programs that continue to fail women in our society. 
We must have equal concern for life outside the womb as we have for life inside the womb. As Christians, we believe in the sanctity of life. However, the church should extend love, support, and advocacy without condemnation for those women with crisis pregnancies. Christ came to heal the broken, not harm the wounded. Someone asked to clarify crisis pregnancy. I use that language because it covers whatever crisis can involves anything, whether it's the, the life of the child at stake, the mother at stake, rape, incest. There are a lot of things that go into play, medical issues that are involved. That's why I say, let me tell you something. As I, as I grow and, 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 and learn more, gain more knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, and maturity, some things become a lot simpler, but then there are other things that are just becoming more complex. And this is a very complex issue. People would like to boil it down to black and white, but it's not that simple. And people can talk a lot of junk until it comes home to their house. And it's their sister, their daughter that's involved. Life and choice. We're going to talk about that because... God has given us the power of choice. Pastor Jamal was with me in the first service, and, and I, I wouldn't use the, the term free will because we debate about whether free will is really free. And, but the will to choose was given to us by God. In the garden, there was one tree. You could have all the rest. Don't choose that one. What did they do? They chose the one. Was there consequence? Yes. Absolutely. What does that mean? Choices have consequence. Choices have consequence. They then had to serve that choice by being evicted from the garden. So not only do choices have consequence, but we become servant to the choices that we make. Which means don't make choices that you don't want to serve. That's why people in prison are not serving time. They're serving their choices. Choice is built in to the human person. We choose. We're constantly making choices every day. And there are some choices that present us with a moral dilemma. How do we morally make choose this over that? That's real life, folks. That's where we live. And we live most of our life in the gray, not the black and white. Rahab was a harlot. Did you read about her in the Bible? You all know what a harlot is? Look, I, don't write me a letter. You know, she was just misinformed. You shouldn't have called her that. The Bible calls her a harlot. Okay. She's in Jericho. 
She's a Canaanite woman with different values than the Israelites. Got it? But she becomes a key person for the spies to go in to understand what's going on in Jericho because they're about to make a military move on that city. With her cooperation, those spies were able to escape. How did she cooperate? She lied. No, no, Pastor, you got that wrong. That's, that's misinterpretation. Read the text in Joshua chapter 2. She lied. And as a result of that lie... They were able to get away. The spies were able to get away. And she and her household, her family, were spared. Now, how do I, how do I interpret that? Lying is good. Lying is okay in certain situations. God condoned lying. Because you hear of Rahab in, 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 in the Hebrew chapter 11 hall of faith. By faith, Rahab. But please understand, don't get it mixed up. God was not commending her for lying. He was commending for her as a Canaanite woman of a totally different spiritual orientation to believe in, trust in, and embrace Yahweh as her way of escape. So it was her overall faith in Yahweh that he commended her for. But we still have a moral dilemma here. Because the Bible says, you know, Revelation says, no liar will find his way into the kingdom. They're all going to end up in a lake of fire. And God hates a lying tongue. But she lied. How do we respond to that? How do we understand that? Is it situational ethics? Is it circumstantial? Is there a different set of moral Values and how we understand that, that goes with that. What do we do with that? Are you all with me? These are real folks. You can, you can kumbaya your, your Jesus all you want. This is where we live. This is where the rubber meets the road. And we, every choice, look, every choice has a consequence. But there's certain choices that have moral implications that put us in a moral dilemma where we're torn. Have you ever been there? I challenged Pastor Jamal, I'm going to wrap up with this, I pastor, challenged Pastor Jamal, I said, I said so if you, if you have, you know, you're in a boat, your daughter and her friend are, are, are with you, they go overboard, and the circumstances are such that both are going to drown, you can only save one of them, which one would you save? You want to know what he said? The first service will be uploaded this afternoon and you can watch on YouTube and you can get the answer. This is real. I was in a conversation with a conservative talk show host and we were talking about moral boundaries and morality and truth-telling as a moral value. And I value truth-telling. I value honesty and integrity. So he said, well, you know, absolutely under... No condition should we lie. I said, let me ask you a question, sir. Suppose you were in a house, your house, downstairs, 
one evening, and upstairs your wife and your daughter were asleep while you were downstairs. Someone broke in, gunpoint, puts it to you and said, this is a holdup, I want all of your valuables. And then he asked you the question, is there anyone else in the house? I want to see all the holy folks, the, the, the super righteous folks. I'll, I'll have to tell you the truth, pastor. Well, I'm glad I ain't your kin. Think about it. That's a moral dilemma. Which, which is most important, the moral value of truth-telling or the moral value of a human life? So the talk show host, he got upset with me. He said, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to answer that. What would you do? So when we come back next week, we'll continue this conversation. I hope you got something out of this today. Let's all stand. And don't try to go to the first service and find out what I said, because I did the same thing in the first service. Our minister, Misha, is going to come and share some words with you and then lead you in prayer, both those of you who are here and those who are watching online. Praise the Lord. The great thing about serving under a visionary is that when pastor does something groundbreaking, we get to occupy the broken ground. Pastor said, oh, we're out of time. You know that happened in the first service too? He blamed the clock. The habitual shortness of a rebellious device that measures unjust minutes, that is power. I'm going to remember that. Now, we close every service by saying that Jesus is Lord, but we can't do that without giving someone the opportunity to make him Lord. Praise God for people who choose to build bridges. Assemblywoman Lucas reminded us that effective advocacy for the community must come from and or come to the community because it's the only way we will see it clearly and know what it needs. Praise God that he sees us clearly in all our humanity, in all our diversity, with all our adversity. We do not need to bleach our worship or whitewash our testimonies to scrub them of their darker moments. We do not need to pretend we've never struggled with anger or despair or fear. We do not need to invent fables to explain away pain when God stands ready to heal it and has raised up people to help. Amen. But you can't heal a thing by saying it's not there. God is in control of human history. He knows what will happen. He knows how systems and structures will work and fail to work and when and for whom. Jesus responds to us in our fallen humanity, even with the reference point of the beginning. He neither compromises on grace nor on truth because if the purpose of a thing or a person is not clearly understood, abuse is inevitable. Inevitable. I'll finish this in English. It is inevitable. Whether you're a pastor or your power, whether a hammer or a husband, and if you are using your power on your pastor or a hammer on your husband, <laughs> abuse is indeed inevitable. <laughs> we learned today that the purpose of the earth is humans, and the purpose of humans is to thrive, which means we can't dehumanize one group of people made in his image and likeness to champion another and call ourselves oracles of God. Yeah. In identifying with life, but not just one group of lives, we identify with the heart of God. In identifying with the hurting, we identify with the heart of God. And that today 
is good news. The good news is that a holy God so loved a rebellious world that he sent his only begotten son to live a sinless life, die in our place, and rise from the grave conquering death. And in doing so, he paid the price for our sin and gives us a right to everlasting life. The good news is that the God who sees everything saw the best in us, even though he also saw the rest of us. The good news is that God has given us free will. The good news is that God has a plan that meets us where we are and loves us too much to leave us there. He has a better way. We can know him today. We can be saved. We can give God praise for that. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised, has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you would like to do that, I'd like to pray with you. Yes. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'd like to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If you have walked with Jesus and walked away, I'd like to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you have walked in bondage and want to be free, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you have walked in confusion, I'm seeing hands and want to know the truth. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. All you need to do is raise your hand. And if you did raise your hand just now, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. Come down to this altar so that we, the church, can pray for you together. Family, let's encourage them as they come. Beloved, I just want to, we're not going to dwell here long. I want to encourage you not to miss this moment. I want to encourage you to take that step of faith. Sometimes the walk from the back of the church to the, the front seems like a thousand miles. But it makes all the difference. And before you know it, you're there. And there's a parable in that. God will have journeys for you that seem like they're a thousand miles. But if you just start, before you know it, you're there. There's an opportunity for us today to meet him. There's an opportunity for us today to take a new step with him. For going in, to go in a new direction with him. To go to a new level with him. Beloved, this is a day we are starting a new season. We're transitioning into summer. We're celebrating graduates today. We're celebrating all the, the we're celebrating change pastor talked about the change in the seasons. We're seeing new things happening. And we can give God praise for that. Beloved, they're still coming. We can continue to applaud them as they come. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing just about everyone in this room sitting in the congregation has remembers this moment. I certainly remember it in my life. And this is a moment that we don't want to miss. Okay. Now, I need to know just by show of hands, who's coming for the first time? Is there anyone coming for the first time? Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Uh, who's rededicating themselves today? Who's coming for special prayer? Who's coming because they just wanted to see up close what, what, what pastor's shirt looks like? Okay. I think I covered everybody. Okay. So if you're coming for the first time and, and congregation, let us just support and, 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 and speak along. Repeat after me. Father. I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity, this opportunity to open my heart to your love for me. I believe, I believe that Christ died, Christ died on the cross and rose again to pay the price for my sin. I confess him now as Lord and Savior. And your word says, I'm born again. I will never be perfect, but I am forever changed. And I give you the praise in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Let's give God praise. Let us also pray. If you came up here to, to re, for rededication or anything connected with it, pray with me. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that every day, that every day, your mercies are new. I thank you. I thank you that you said, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for the cleansing. Thank you for the healing. Thank you for transformation. Thank you for your presence. I give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beloved. So I just want to, I, I, I want to give this encouragement, whether you're starting, whether you're resuming, whether you're continuing. Change is not an event, it's a process. Now the journey in, in, in Christ begins. Now the journey in Christ begins a new chapter. Now we become representatives of God's rule in the world, and we get to discover just what our gifts, talents, and abilities are for. I need you to do four things. Study the Word. Get in a Bible teaching church. Invest in community. Keep showing up. That has taken on a whole new meaning over the past two years. Keep showing up yeah, and yeah. tell someone about the decision you made. And now, if I may, I will just want to do one more thing. And I just want to ask you to turn around because we have some people who have been praying for you, who have been waiting for you, and who are so excited to see what God is about to do in your life. Family, let us give God praise that his word will never return to him void. Let us give God praise that he is moving even now. Let us give God praise for his word made flesh and all the people that we see here and all the things they will do and the places they will go. Lord, let us give him praise. Wow, wow. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to the family of God. And the journey has just started. And it's going to be an incredible journey along the way. God bless you. Welcome to the family of God. And we want you to make sure, we want to make sure that you understand that what's God's objective for you? Human flourishing. He wants you to flourish, to be blessed and to be a blessing. You may return to your seats. God bless you. And if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer, absolutely, the journey begins for you as well. Praise the Lord. Well, were you blessed today? So what do you think that pastor answered that question? I'll leave it with you for the week. You could wrestle through that. Let's say something good to leave this place, but never God's presence. Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we are seeing it come to pass. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Thanks for tuning in to the A.R. Bernard Podcast. I hope you were enriched by the information and or the conversation. Make sure subscribe by clicking the link in the bio to gain more information about me and the work that I'm doing. Again, thank you and God bless.